Well, let's return back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As we do want to find out the answer of why things come to pass by the hand of God, I'll read verses 14 through 17. This is the word of the living God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been. And what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. You have an ASV. Your translation could say something, something to the fact God pursues that which has been driven away. I'll deal with that later. Verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness iniquity was there. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. There are numerous things that our preacher here simply just doesn't know. And he realized that he is acquiring all these goods and he's going to leave it to someone and he's not sure if that one's going to be a fool or he's going to be wise. So that's one thing he just doesn't know. Another thing that he doesn't know is the time of season of his death as well as all the events in between since they are determined by God and God has been pleased not to reveal them in the minutest detail possible. All seasons are determined by God. No one can find out that work of God. I'm being redundant here because God has been pleased to keep that to himself. He will reveal what he's going to reveal in his own time. And it's just best for us not to know probably the day of our death. But he does say something. He says, I know. And what he's doing, he's going to prove verse 1. Remember, I mentioned the thesis in verse 1, that there is a, that everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a season and there's a reason for the season, and he's proving that even now. And he brings out in verse 14 one of the reasons why all things come to pass. All things are decreed by God. He says, I know that whatever God does in eternity past, it shall be forever. It cannot be missed. This appointment cannot be missed, is what he is saying. Everything has been decreed. I use that term decreed by God. Let me explain what uh, God's decree is. Before the earth was formed, from everlasting to everlasting, God is the Lord. And God has ordained, before time began, what is going to come to pass. All events are predetermined by God's unchangeable decree. Therefore, all appointments are kept down to the very smallest detail. And this is for God's glory. His will is not frustrated but accomplished as there is no vanity of vanities with God. There's no meaningless, meaningless with God the Lord. The Westminster Catechism states that God's decree is for God's own glory. He is foreordained whatsoever comes 
to pass. His decree is not based on foreseeing future events as if God is reading from a book. No, God is all-knowing. Also, God cannot be taught. There's that fallacy that's come out of her so many times, how God looked down the corridors of time and saw what was going to happen, and therefore he ordered it. Well, there God is being instructed, and it's impossible for God to have any ignorance whatsoever or for him to be advised of anything. Uh, nothing has existed prior to our God because God has always been. Pastor Blackburn used to say this, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? And it's true. God's decree is carried out by two ways. First, creation, and second, providence. Creation, we all know creation. It's God's making all things in the space of six days. I dealt with that power of God in creation in the first service by our little bike ride that we had. But I think we can see as we go about our week that maybe we'll look at creation a little bit differently. We might. But the second thing is providence it is God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Job 23, describing the Almighty, says this, whatever his soul desires, that he does. And of course, I quoted Proverbs uh, 16 uh, in the morning service. as says that the lot is cast into the lap, and yet it's every decision is of the Lord. So God is working all things out in the works of creation as well as in providence. Now, this truth here is not an opinion. This truth is not an occasion of despair or laziness. Notice that it says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that men might be lazy. No, or that men might be um, despair. That's not there at all. He brings out the fact that the unchangeable decree of God and here's the reason for God's unchangeable decree that all should fear before God. There should be a holy reverence and fear for the Almighty because he's working all things together for the good of his people, but to realize that God is intimately, closely involved in his creation should bring about in all of us an awe of God, speechless when we consider his goodness and his mercy, but also his justice and his power. When you consider God's creation, and one of the powerful things of God's creation that we sometimes experience is when we go into the ocean, and those waves start getting bigger. Apparently the waves are gonna get real big this week. They're supposed to be like 10 to 15 feet. It just shows how, this is God's creation. It's not even God, but God has made them in his creation. The power of those waves is incredible. It knocks us flat. We're small, puny creatures compared to his great power even in the oceans. And so, this should 
put within us a holy reverence of God, almost like this, that we would close our mouths. These truths right here at time have been an occasion for many to sin. And they, so to speak, champion the cause of predestination, God's providence. Instead of it humbling men, they speak when they probably should just keep their mouth shut. Because God is God. There is no God like our God. This is meant to humble mankind. This is meant to bring about a reverence and respect because God sees all. He sees what goes on within man, within our hearts. This should bring about the grace of humility. Remember, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. And I would say the beginning of someone's salvation is the fear of God. When you consider that we've broken God's laws and now we're in danger, we need to be rescued from that danger and that can only come about through his son. That brings about that grace of humility, the grace of faith, grace of hope, not hopelessness, as well as the grace of love and true holiness, true faith comes by the object of that faith, which is God himself and his Son and the Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ being the author and finisher of the faith. No hopelessness here at all. God does these things so that men might fear before him. In Proverbs, not in Proverbs, but Psalm 33, listen to this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. It's the idea that God spoke the worlds into existence, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The only reason why our planet doesn't spin out of orbit is because of God's word. The only reason that we live and move and have our being, because of God's word. We are dependent upon him and him alone. Which brings us to verse 15 seems to be a repeating here, but he's going to, you'll see, because he, he repeated him, not repeated, he stated it earlier in chapter 1 and verse 9, and now he's going to say almost the same thing, but it's going to be different tenses here. I'll just read it, and then I'll, we'll go to uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. That which is, okay, present, has already been, past. That which is to be in the future has already been. That's in the past. Okay, now go over to 1, chapter 1, verse 9. That which has been, that's past, is what will be, future. That which is done in times past is what will be done. That's in the future. It's, he covers everything possible, past, present, and future, to show that the work of God, I'll be careful here, is the same in every age. What I mean by that is whatever it is that God has decreed in times past will surely come to pass. Things in the past, things in the present, things in the future have been ordered by God. 
So it, it, God's work is the same in every age. Things present, things to come, repeating of the past. Now, you have to be careful here because every year is a new year. There are new things that happen in that year, and you have to be careful of saying, oh, that's, everything's going to be the same. Well, you can't say that. I, I'm a hockey fan, and I, I'm, I know my Kings won the Stanley Cup two times. I was really happy about that. But you know what? they got to play it every year. Sam's team won it more times than I really want to admit to you right now. But they have a – that's different. They have different champions every year. So you have to be careful of how you approach this. To If man is going to be preaching, you can't say, well, he's going to preach like this every single solitary time because that which has been done in the past – we're, not, we're talking about what God has done in times past, in eternity past. God determined everything so that that which is has already been in the mind of God. That which is to be here in the future has already been, again, in the mind of God because God determined it before time began. And there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing is going to surprise God. Nothing. Nothing surprises him. That shouldn't surprise us. But what this doesn't do is it doesn't promote sin. This, this knowledge of God does not promote sin because there's two sins to be kept from. Laziness. Some may take this doctrine. Some have told me after the service they have questions, and I'm already anticipating the questions, so it's going to be interesting because... The difficulties that they've gone through in their life, they're going to bring out. You mean to say God determined that? I'll have to say, yes, God determined that. But it's for your good. It's for your conversion if they're unconverted. But it's not to lead to a sinful laziness. That's the first sin. We can't say, oh, well, God's will be done. God's will will be done. But you don't ever want to use it as an occasion of sin. We don't walk by providence. We walk by faith. Here's the illustration. This goes back over 33 years ago. There was a man who was lawfully married and started pursuing another woman who was not his wife. I caught wind of it, and I called him on it and said, that is adultery. That is wrong. And his excuse to me was, well, every time I turn around, this woman's in front of me. There he's walking by providence, not by faith. And he was wrong pointed that out to him. You cannot use this doctrine as an occasion of sin because we walk by God's word. God has ordained all things that come to pass. And the second sin to guard against is to blame God for sin. We don't dare blame God for sin. He is not the author of sin nor does he have fellowship with it, as our confession of faith says. God is most holy. I find it interesting here that after all has been said, the, the last part of verse 15 says that God requires an account of what is past. I'll explain what that means here in a minute, because a lot of you have ASV, and it says something a little bit different, but it basically says the same thing, but I'll explain that. But we must remember that God 
is never to be blamed for sin. I know I'm not, I know I'm talking to the choir here. You all agree with that. We have to be careful though, very careful, maybe with the way that we raise our kids. And, you know, the kids don't turn out right, and maybe we say, oh, well, God's will. God's determined who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And one sense, what you're doing is you're laying blame at God's feet that your children are not converted. Your children should be properly trained up. Everything should be done in your power to rear them in a way that is honoring to God. They should be taught properly because when they're old, they will not depart from it. But you don't dare blame God uh, for sins. Those are the two sins that are being guarded against when we walk in the fear of God, and secondly, here, we see that God requires an account of what is past. Uh, in your ASV, it says, God seeks what has been driven away. And the thing that's been very helpful in understanding what that means is the context of verse 16 and 17, which we will get to, but this is what I'm going to propose to you, is that what is being said here is that God seeks him that is persecuted and afflicted, who is driven away. Now, here's the example. Cain persecuted and murdered Abel because Abel was accepted by God. God required Cain to account for Abel's blood and throughout all ages, the wicked persecutes the righteous and God will require, seek, uncover, they will have to give an account on that great day of judgment. God searches and seeks out in judgment. God will vindicate those who are persecuted, and yet he will punish the wicked. In Psalm 94, they slay the widow, the stranger, they murder the fatherless, yet they say the Lord does not see. And then at the end of that uh, psalm, the Lord our God shall cut them off. God requires an account of things past, past deeds, as there is a judgment. In fact, there is the judgment. And I'll show you now why I think um, what, our, what our preacher is saying here is dealing with judgment, because now we deal with, with, chapter, with verse uh, 16. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun, moreover, in light of what's been stated, it's a connecting thought. Um, in addition, in the place of justice, where there are judges, there was wickedness. The judges sit in judgment, they acquit the guilty, and they condemn the righteous. The king must not transgress in judgment, is what the proverb says, what Solomon might have had in mind here, he might have had Eli's sons in mind, Hophni and Phinehas, they were wicked men, wicked priests, or judges who oppressed the widow, the fatherless, the poor, the weak. The judges would take bribes. And so in the place of righteousness, there was sin. That's what he's bringing out. You've got to ask the question, why is he bringing this out? All of, out of the blue, now we're looking at how judges are judging in, an, in air. Why is he bringing this out? Well, it's because the fact of verse 15 talks about God giving an account. And even though there may be wickedness on behalf of the judges, God will judge that as well. 
do remember this, brethren, that whenever there is anything that goes on in the court system, it should remind us of the last day. It should remind us of that. Uh, even, you know, when, if you were to go to court, traffic ticket, whatever it may be, but other cases that deal with murder, remember the judge is hearing everything, and granted we have a, a jury that makes that decision, but the judge is judging, and he cannot be swayed by pribes. He must be right. In that place of righteousness, there needs to be righteousness and not sin. And our preacher here is saying that he looked, he was, there's something that was common. He looked for righteousness and there was wickedness. He looked for that which was right and it was just iniquity, sin in the seat of righteousness. But then verse 17, there's a comfort. Here is the comfort in the face of injustice. God will perfectly judge all. We just talked about that earlier here. God requires an account of what is past. Well, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. He will judge all perfectly. Justifying the righteous and condemning the wicked. God has determined all things that come to pass, but he's also fixed a great day of judgment that will surely come to pass. Uh, Paul, when he was dealing with the men on Mars Hill, brought out the fact that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. I would submit to you, I'm getting this from Pastor, I think it's Pastor Renahan who said this, that if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes without the resurrection, it's a hopeless book. If you look upon this book without the Son of God, it's a hopeless book. Since God has determined all things that come to pass, and he will judge those judges that were wicked, or he will judge those who were, who were persecutors of, of the Christian. God will do that perfectly. We take comfort in that. Granted, we live in a land where we don't really have to worry about persecution, but there are others that do. There are others that do. Remember this, every thought, word, and deed properly and perfectly judged by God. So, what is the reason for each season? First of all, what I said earlier in this morning, enjoyment in what God has given to us and to be thankful to him. Secondly, a fear and a reverence towards God. And then thirdly, nothing prevents death and judgment. There is a judgment to come. We must be prepared. Christians as well must be prepared for that day of judgment. When you look at verse 1, there's a season, and there's a reason for every season. And then you go to verse 17. There's a time there for every purpose and for every work. In other words, everything will be judged by God. Everything will be. Therefore, our application is pretty simple, is we must prepare to meet our God. Prepare to meet our God, Christian and non-Christian. 
All occurrences that occur cannot prevent from death or the judgment. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has been saying for these two and a half chapters. And he's going to continue on that as well. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you will see that there's nothing that can prevent that day, that appointment that we all have with death and the judgment as well. The conclusion of the matter, fear God, keep his commandments. This is everything that God has ordered for man to do. For God will bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil, and that should drive us to the cross. If God is going to judge me based upon everything that I've done, I'm going to go to hell. However, he's already judged everything in his son, and he's, in, he's absorbed that terror, that hell, so that I would not have to, so you brethren would not have to as well. I mean, all you have to do is look at the law of God. I brought it out in this morning, and even when we are convinced and convicted of our sin, we run to that payment that was made on our behalf, which is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a great benefit to God's decree. Our salvation, that we, we've trusted in Christ, we've repented of our sins, God has decreed it, we cannot be lost. That's something that would encourage us. You know, away with those who preach that you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying that there cannot be those who do not fall away. I would submit to you that they never really ever believe. But when God has determined our salvation, we have believed upon Christ as far as we can tell. Right now, we're not out of our mind. We've repented of our sins. We believe upon Christ. That cannot be reversed. Cannot be reversed because of God's decree. There's a great benefit to that. To know that God has decreed the day of our birth, the day of our second birth, the day of our death. He has ordained that. We thank the Lord that he ordained the day of our death. Imagine if it was up to something else, luck or chance or something else is running this planet. It would be very hopeless on our behalf. But God has fixed, that determined counsel of God has fixed our regeneration, we've been made alive, our pardon, our justification being declared righteous by God. We're adopted in God's family. We are saved. We are saved from the wrath to come. And these are great benefits that we have even from looking at, some would say the book of Ecclesiastes is hopeless, but without the resurrection of Christ, I submit to you it probably would be. It would definitely be. But let's absorb this and comfort this. Uh, this would be a comfort to us during the year. To so go in day in and day out knowing that God has ordered those days for us. The other thing too is to know that God works all things together for good. I've kind of touched on that, but remember that. Not all things are good. However, God works all things together for good for those who are called, those who love him or called according to his purpose. It's, we may not see it. Chances are we probably won't see it, but we just don't see it. We probably won't know until eternity pass when we make it to heaven. But just keep that in mind, my brethren, is that the difficulties, the trials that we go through, everyone goes through trials and difficulties. There's a reason for it, and God is doing it for our good. We must believe that and cling to that and trust 
in the God who has indeed ordered those things for our good. And then next thing I do want to touch on is even though we have difficulties in our lives, even though there's difficulties within the government, notice here in the place of judgment there is wickedness, in the place of righteousness, iniquity, there should be in the place where our government is, there should be righteousness. But we should praise the Lord for the freedoms that we enjoy here in America. We really should, and I hope we do. We pray for our leaders. We do pray that there, even though there may be injustice at times, even in the best of governments, we must pray for our leaders that the wicked would be removed and those who are right would be blessed to continue on so that we might lead a peaceable life. That's one of the things that Paul gave the exhortation to the churches was to pray for your leaders that we might lead a peaceable life. So we should indeed pray for our leaders. And um, it's a, it is a grief when you see wicked laws coming about, the right for mothers to kill their children. Now granted, the, the government's not telling them to go do it, and they claim Roe v. Wade has been overturned, yet people are still having abortions. It's more on the people than the government, but the government has opened up a door and allowed murder to go on wholesale. We have to be careful how we make judgments with regards to that. If we can interact, as I know that we have brethren that interact with those at Planned Parenthood and other places that promote abortion, trying to save the children. See, in that place of wickedness, there should be righteousness. And instead, within the womb of a mother, which should be a safe place, it's a dangerous place for over, the, over one and a half million babies that were killed this past year of 2023. And then lastly, this truth should make us humble and holy. I've touched on this, but I do want to say that we just got another day closer to eternity when we got up from our beds today. Another day closer to eternity as we hit 2024. Now, can it be that some of us may not be here when 2025 rolls around because God has taken us? I'm just asking the question. Uh, our congregation is getting older and uh, our dear sister is fighting cancer, but we have to ask ourselves the questions, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, question mark? Yes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All things ordered by God includes our salvation, includes our death, and to live is Christ and to die is gain Die is gained for us in 2023. A couple hours later, it will be 2024. And we take comfort in God's decree, in his providence, as well in his wonderful salvation that he has ordered for us to enjoy. Saved, and so we shall be saved. In this life and in the life to come. When we talk about the judgment of God on the righteous and on the wicked, how the Lord Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. That's how we see it. Those of us that are in Christ will not have to fear. Those that are not in Christ do have to fear. Eternity in judgment of God is a horrible thing. It's the only thing that scared our Lord 
before he went to the cross, our Lord sweated great drops of blood and he feared hell. He knew he was going to have to go to hell for his people, and he did. He did. Take comfort in that. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would be merciful unto us as we head into the year of 2024, that we would grow in your grace and knowledge, that we would walk in a, a fear of you, a reverence towards you, for you are God and there is none other but you. We thank and praise you for your son's righteousness that has been put to our account. And we gladly now, as we partake of these elements, as we remember the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you will be with us. Seal these words that we have read, that we have had preached to us, to our hearts. Uh, take away my mistakes. May I be forgotten. May the message be remembered. Have mercy upon your people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.